on you, why don't you go to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the Gospels, and it will come up on the screen uh, as well as we sort of get into the Word this morning. And I've just been thinking uh, quite a little bit lately about our move that Claire mentioned that's coming up as a church whānau as we begin our transition to Tahuna Nui and all that that entails and all that that will look like and some of the unknown stuff around that. And I've just been thinking about the reasons again about why we're doing all of that. And I was reminded of this quote from evangelist D.L. Moody on the screens who said this, Our greatest fear should not be failure. Oh, that's good to know. But of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Man, that's a good quote. Our, our, our greatest fear shouldn't be failure. Don't worry about failing, but be concerned about succeeding at things that don't actually matter, meaningless things. And, and I've just been thinking the last couple of days, like, what does really matter? What, what actually matters in life and matters to us as, as a church? What, what actually matters to God? And because I guess if it matters to Him, then, then it must really matter, right? If we find out what matters to God, then we know that that's what, what really matters. And so I just want to bring a bit of a reminder to you this morning uh, around something that I know is big on, on His heart. Uh, and, and I think he, he wants it to resound in our hearts as well. So if you're taking notes, I've entitled this message aptly, What Matters the Most? Can you say that out loud? What matters the most? What matters the most? What matters the most? And I want to talk today about people. People matter the most. I want to talk about people and specifically Bible refers to as people, as, as lost people, spiritually speaking, people who are away from God, people who have not received the goodness of God and the, and, and the forgiveness from Jesus and, and the role that we play as a church community in the pursuit of lost people. All right, that's what I want to talk about, talk to you this morning. Cool. And I've been sharing uh, a story which I'm going to share with you in our Next Steps classes, which we're not doing the same anymore. And, and I don't think I've ever shared it before in, in this setting about losing my son. I have a son. His name is Toby. He's now six years old. And one time I actually lost him. Uh, and, and basically a few years ago, I was home alone. I have four children. And uh, Caroline must have been out for the day. I, I can't remember why or where she was. But, but at some point in the afternoon, I realized that I hadn't seen my son, Toby. And he was only two years old. And I hadn't seen him for about 20 minutes. Now, that right there is bad parenting. You know, only two years old. You, you've not checked in, in him in, in 20 minutes. That's bad. Bad people. And so I called out to him from the lounge. Some of you will have heard this story. And I heard no reply. and didn't kind of say yes or hello or anything. So I went down the hallway calling out his name. Toby! Toby! And no sign. Wasn't particularly worried. I hadn't checked any of the house. And then I went into his bedroom. Couldn't see him there. Went into his sister's bedrooms. And, and he wasn't there at all. Okay. And kept on calling out his name. Went outside to the back garden 
looked around the garden, couldn't see him there. I realized that the front door was a little bit open, but we had a long, long driveway, which she would never go down. And he wasn't looked outside the front, no sign of him uh, there as well. And, you know, if you're a, a parent at this stage, just a little bit of worry starts to kick in, you know, like, oh, I don't think I can find him. Where, where is he? And, and, and I kind of then began to search with a little more urgency than before. Like, I'm starting to think, okay, where, where, where is my son? And one of the kids is like, Dad, I can't get Netflix to work. And I'm like, be quiet. Where's my son? Not now. And, and all I could think of is, where is my son? Where, where, has he, where has he gone? It became my single focus to find my lost, my lost son and... And then uh, I was just about to text Caroline and let her know, like, I am the worst dad in the world, but I cannot find Toby anywhere. I don't know where he's gone. Is he with you? I don't think he, he was. He, yeah, no, I was looking after him. And, and then I just thought I'd check the bedrooms one more time. And I'm in the back bedroom, one of my daughter's bedrooms, and she loves soft toys. And they're piled up in a corner. And out of the corner of my eye, I see... One of these things dropped down and there is the face of, of my son smiling and, and looking back at me. And it turns out he was playing hide and seek, but he didn't let anyone know. Right? It's just like, well, that's not quite how it works, but he's, he's two years old. And man, I was relieved. And I gave him a hug. Like, oh, I found you. Just like, oh, thank goodness I didn't send that text. But... But it's, it's in those kinds of moments, like as a parent, and we've probably, as parents, all have got a lost child story. I imagine we have some maybe way worse than that. And we lost Caitlin once out on the street. We, someone found her maybe, brought her in, like, oh, okay, great. She was about two years old. Our kids are like runners. Well, they were anyway. But, and, but, you know, as a parent, in those kind of situations, you get just a small glimpse, a small window, I think, of what... God might or must feel for his lost kids, those ones who don't know him, who are away from him. And and the concern of his heart right there in those moments to find lost people and and, and reconcile them and and, and bring them back into, into his arms. And Jesus makes it really clear in Scripture about this issue around the lost and how they matter the most to God. In Luke chapter 15, if you're there, there are like three parables that Jesus tells, or three stories. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? That's what a parable is. It's Jesus's way of explaining to his audience, this is how heaven thinks. This is, this is how, what, this is, this is a glimpse into the heart of the Father. And, and he tells these three parables, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, not in this, necessarily in this order, and the lost son. And I just want to read one of those to you this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, and I'm reading it from the New Living Translation, which may be a little different from yours. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners... <laughs> I'm, I apologize if you work for the Inland Revenue or anyone. I don't know why. It's, just, it's not good. But anyway, uh, they came often to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, and the teachers of religious law complain that he, Jesus, was associating with such sinful people. 
even eating with them. Oh my gosh. So Jesus told them then, because of that, because of their complaining, he begins to tell them this parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, just to kind of illustrate to them, listen, this is why I do that, and this is why this matters. He says, listen, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors. Excuse me, I'm, oh, I'm there, aren't I? Am I not there? Okay, I actually did not include that in my slides, so just listen to me. It says, when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, I think my slides are all over the place. Sorry, Gary, that might be a challenge for you. They're not in order. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven, Jesus says, over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away an interesting parable and an interesting illustration that Jesus gives, gives. And what's really interesting about it is that it gives us a glimpse into what really matters to God. Yeah. Like as we're here right now, this is a reminder to us about what really matters to God. And as we worship Him and how important that is and how that should be a priority and to not, giving, not, not neglecting the gathering together of believers to worship God, this is what really matters to, to God. And, and Jesus, I think, is making a simple, singular point. And if we were to keep reading the other two earthly stories with the heavenly meaning, we'd find the same point there too, that lost people matter. They are at the heart of what matters to God. And, and Jesus is trying, and he continues to try so hard to explain to the religious people of, who are so upset that he's hanging out with sinful people. And, and he's trying to tell them, listen, the extents that that one would go to to find things that, that are lost. And he's like, hey, listen, how about this? You guys get sheep analogies, maybe. He says, maybe imagine that, that, that someone, one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one. What do you do? Wouldn't you leave the 99 to go out and find the one that was lost? I was thinking when my, when my son went missing, when I couldn't find him, I never thought for one second, you know, I looked at my other three kids, who were safe at home. Three out of four ain't bad. Right? Like, what's that? 75%? Ah, it's going to be okay, I guess. Right? Yeah. I, I never thought that at all. And like the parable, I wasn't concerned about the ones who were safe. I was just concerned about finding my, my lost son. And so the thing is that, that church, not just our gathering, but our community and what we do and, and why, why we do it, it can be a little bit about you and I, right? It can be a little bit about you and, and, and getting your needs met and, 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 and feeling like this is for you and a little bit about me, but it can't be all about you and me. 
can't really be, the focus can't actually be on, on, on us because there are people out there who matter to God and are, are spiritually lost and they are, it would seem, very much on, on God's heart. And so Jesus is looking to us, to his church. He's looking to empower us and to fill us with the empowerment of his spirit to kind of be in a search party, a divine search party to help bring lost people back to the Father. It's kind of, you could sort of sum up, that's the purpose, one of the reasons why we do what we do and why actually we are relocating and planting ourselves in community to, to get to what really matters the most to God, which is people who don't know Him. And the last time I checked, there were a number of people who still don't know Jesus. And have not yet been introduced to the goodness of God and have received his love and his grace and his forgiveness and mercy like, like I have. And, it, and, and it's amazing. And, and it's a necessary reminder because what can happen is, is we can be well-intentioned and motivated and come along on Sundays like we are and other things during the, during the week and, and get some goosebumps and feel really good and have the coffee. This is great. The coffee's amazing and all the stuff that we do, but it actually may not reflect the maximum amount of what God actually makes him move and his purposes. And we end up doing things and enjoying things that actually don't really matter that much. And Jesus, a lot of the times in the Gospels, he tries to explain this to the, to the religious leaders. And, and, and we could keep reading lots of different passages like Mark chapter 2. When we read the story about how Jesus is invited to a tax collector's home. And just the, on, on the tax collector thing, it's because the Jewish tax collectors were looked down on by, by, uh, by people because they had to work for the Roman Empire. To do the business, right? So they were kind of frowned upon and kind of seen as traitors. So that's, if you work as an accountant or any kind of financial thing with taxes involved, this is not a, a dig on you. It's just back in the day, you know, you were seen as a bit of a, a, bit of a traitor and you know, a few of them were a little bit sort of taking some more money than they should have. But, but anyway, it says in Mark 2 that when the Pharisees saw Jesus with these disreputable people, they turned to his disciples and said, why does he eat with such scum? That's the, that's the words. And, and, and when Jesus heard this, he told them, and this is verse 17 of Mark 2, and I don't know, I do have it here. It says this, Jesus says, listen, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come. Jesus is kind of making it really clear with the reason why he has deposited himself on planet Earth. This, I have come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Those who know that they're, they're lost. The message version, I love this, it says, Jesus overhearing shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I am here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. In other words, Jesus is explaining the reason, the purpose of why he came to the earth. And you and I were part of that purpose. And he found us and we found him. And it's wonderful and glorious. And, and now we're involved in helping others find him. And you know what? I'm thankful for the many reasons 
uh, that Christ came, his life and death and resurrection, what it obtained for me, healing and, and deliverance, authority over the enemy, the power to heal, all the ways, the glorious ways of the kingdom of God is surpassing peace that I can have in my life when everything around me seems to be out of control. I love all of the spiritual gifts and so on. But here in, in Luke 15, or Luke 15, I think it was in Mark 2, he kind of plainly states the purpose of his mission. He says, I'm here to call not those who think they're righteous, who appear to be righteous, who have it all together, not the spiritually fit, but the sin sick. Those in need of help who are lost and in need of a savior. And we know that Jesus came for the unrighteous, right? The dysfunctional. He came for the broken, for those who are away from him, who need reconciling, the disconnected, the unreconciled. The people who are still living in the dysfunction and the mess of their lives. People who are searching for answers in all the wrong places, who are trying to fill that empty void that, that, that was supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, that, and that they would realize that the one who can truly satisfy them is the one who laid down his life for them so that we might have it in fullness. In, in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In John 3, verse 17, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And over and over and echoing, particularly right through the Gospels, we see the purpose, the reason why Jesus came and, and why what, what really matters the most to Him has not changed in the 2,000 or so years since He was on the earth we don't have time to look at all the other parables and stories, the illustrations that Jesus tried to make to make this clear. The lost coin, the, the parable, the, the wedding feast, the seed and the soil story, the thief in the night, the doorkeeper, the, the prodigal son. All were pointing, describing, expressing the very heart of the call of Jesus was this mission to save, to find, to rescue that which was lost. A few years ago, Caroline and I visited Australia, and um, particularly the Gold Coast. Anyone been to the Gold Coast before? It's kind of, kind of cool. And a lovely, lovely place. And before we went, we'd asked a few people for dinner recommendations. Somewhere that, that wasn't going to cost a whole lot of money, but somewhere that was kind of classic Gold Coast. And a few people, more than one, including when we were there, said, Oh, you've got to go for dinner to the Burley Heads Surf Club. Anyone been to the Burley Heads Surf Club for dinner? Right, a couple of people have, right? So, oh, well, this seems a weird place to be recommended to go to eat at a, at a surf club. I couldn't quite picture eating there. Like, do we have to sit in an inflatable boat? Like, what, how, do, I, do I have to wear togs? How do you do that? And, and uh, sure enough, we turn up, and this place, the surf club, it's a full-on restaurant. I don't know... What happens, but it was a restaurant, there was food and waiters and, and, and you know, it's, it was a restaurant. And, and I didn't see one lifeguard around and everyone was sort of eating and it was a restaurant and a surf club. It was really strange, but apparently quite normal. And it reminded me of a story that I've shared once before here, I think, uh, a story called The Life 
saving station. And I believe it's a true story, but a great illustration too. And I'm going to read this to you. It's called The Little Life-Saving Station. By the seashore of a small fishing village, there once sat a little life-saving station that one of the villagers decided to build after numerous lives were lost to the sea. Because of the rough currents, jagged hidden rocks and the opening of the port, numerous ships were damaged or wrecked just off the coast. Often the scared travelers would jump into the cold, dark water, attempting to swim for their lives as their damaged ships slowly sunk beneath the raging waters. As the years passed, the little life-saving station expertly performed the job it was destined and designed to do. Every time a ship wrecked on the sea, someone from the life-saving station would quickly board the life-saving boat and row out to the rescue. Over the years, many lives were saved because of this one lone station and the valuable services it supplied. Soon the grateful decided to show how much they appreciated the efforts of those that manned the life-saving station. And many came with needed material, rebuilt this little rugged station into an amazing structure to make the station easier for the ships to see. As they drifted closer to the coast, they constructed a lighthouse, cast light out into the dark of the night. Someone else raised funds to buy many life-saving boats and built showers outside the buildings for those that were dirty from their dip in the sea. And then lastly, a call went out for more volunteers to man the life-saving station. Many people came and gave of their time. Because the small village started to grow, more ships continued to venture into the shore. Bigger ships came to trade and sell their goods. However, because of the increased traffic, more ships became damaged by the waters and rocks hidden in the port. The people of the fishing village decided to build more life-saving stations to reduce the large number of stranded travelers. And soon the coast became littered with life-saving stations. Well, to pass the time when no ships wrecked, the life-saving stations started competing against each other to see which life-saving station was the best. They held rowing and swimming competitions when the sea was calm. They held membership drives to see which life-saving station could get the most volunteers. They also opened restaurants. And before long, a lot of activities developed around the life-saving stations. In time, the now large fishing community raised enough money to remove some of the hazards in the harbor. And as expected, the number of shipwrecks decreased. And because of the lack of shipwrecks, most of the life-saving stations became beachfront social clubs. With a safe port and plenty to celebrate, the community continued to grow and the people soon forgot about life-saving and instead turned to enjoying themselves. In time, they even stopped turning on the light at the lighthouse because the harbor they believed was now safe. Years and years later, they closed some of the life-saving stations and forgot about rescuing the lost from the sea. However, one day, a large and unexpected storm came to the coast in the middle of a busy shipping season. The storm lasted for four days, causing a great number of ships to become damaged in the harbor. Thinking the many life-saving stations were still manned, travelers jumped into the cold, unforgiving waters to try and escape their impeding fate. Nevertheless, many lives were unnecessarily lost to sea. They were lost. Not because of the life-saving stations that were closed, or even because they jumped into the turbulent sea. These precious lives were lost 
because those that had volunteered to be lifesavers had forgotten what their original purpose was supposed to be. We are a life-saving station. We are life-savers. And the mission of the church, the mission of Aspire Church, is no different than the mission of Jesus. Apart from that dying for his sins. And, <laughs> and we, we, are, we are supposed to be carrying his heart Carrying his call, his mission, his mandate, and seeing that lost people are rescued and saved from this, this world. And that we're, we're not supposed to get distracted at all from that call to what matters the most. And as a church, Fano, as a, as a community, as we head into the future, as we have these cool plans, these exciting plans to relocate ourselves... And, 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 and we will, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to, to be a place, to, to become a place and be a people where at the forefront of our minds are the kinds of people who are at the forefront of God's. Yeah. Those without a Savior, because the heartbeat of heaven is souls. It's lost people. It's, it's His motivation. And, and it should be, should be ours too. Why don't the band come up? But don't start playing. Don't start playing. Our story in Luke 15, the, the parable that we opened with, it, it ends with Jesus talking about the lost being found. Don't, don't start playing yet, guys, but you can stay there. But, and it says, it's not on the screens. Jesus said, hey, I'll tell you what happens when someone is reconciled to God. I'll tell you what happens when, when someone finds Christ, finds the meaning of their life, finds his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. Jesus says, listen, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones who do not need to. In other words, there is this massive celebration in heaven over one person who goes, man, you know what? I, I want to live for Jesus. I want, to I want to put my trust and hope in him. I don't want to live my life off my own performance, off my own attempts at being good, at being a good person. I want, to, I want to allow Christ to do that for me. I want to receive His love and give Him all of the crappy, stupid stuff I've ever done and receive His forgiveness. When that happens, heaven rejoices. There is much joy in heaven. And uh, I can't find another account in the Bible which describes such a heavenly celebration going on in heaven, outside of just the worship that goes on, right? Like 24-7 worship. But, but I can't find any other example of celebration than the celebration of a life that has discovered the power of Jesus to save. Heaven rejoices. Like the angels stop what they are doing and they take notice when one person goes, man, I'm going to trust God with my life. Why? Because lost people matter to God. And if it matters to him, it needs to matter to, to us as well. I've used this illustration before a few years ago. It's a fun one. And, and I used to work before I uh, was in, in kind of church ministry for the local council on the Cavity Coast in the North Island. And we had this open plan office with just little thin dividing walls. And we were all kind of on one floor and, and it was uh, 
separated by partitions, just little low-hanging ones by, for departments. So, you know, engineering was in one place, accounts were, were in another. And, and uh, there were about 40 or 50 people who, if you shouted really loud, would have been able to hear you in this open plan office. And, and so I don't know why this started, what I'm about to tell you, but, but whenever the song from AHA called Take On Me. Some of you will, will, will know the song. When, whenever that started playing, everyone had to uh, stop what they were doing and, and just for about 20 or 30 seconds, they'd have to get up from their seats. Oh, it's going to stop, I think, nice and loud. And they had to kind of dance for a little bit, just, just for a few minutes. And, and usually on a Friday afternoon, and just go, all right, here it goes again. Stop what you're doing, get up out of your seats. And everyone knows that kind of tune, right? And then, and then it would stop. Then it would just stop again and everyone would get back to the work. And, and then like a couple of Fridays later, and I had this song on my desktop on my computer, and I'd turn up my, just randomly, I would turn up my speakers, I think it's time, and then play this song, and then everyone, oh no, and then everyone would get up and, and, then, and then sit down again. And, and, and uh, you, know, you know what? I don't know if it's aha that gets played in heaven, but I want to just kind of remind you, give you an illustration of, of what's happening. You know, they're, they're, heaven is full of the angelic and and they're just getting about, doing about, I don't know what's happening up there right now, like Gabriel's mowing the lawns, people are just getting stuff done, they're just checking out the mansions, this place is great, thanks Gary, and, and if you could just play that again, thanks mate, and they're just getting on with their stuff, right, heaven is going on, they're, they're going about their, their business, and then some, suddenly they hear this sound of someone who's giving their life to Christ, someone who is bowing their knees, right? Someone, and then, oh, and all of the angels stop what they were doing. They turn off the lawnmowers and they, they start rejoicing. They go, hey, someone has bowed their knee to Jesus. Oh my goodness, come on. All the angels just start rejoicing. They start dancing. Oh, it's great. And they, and they do this. And then, thanks, Gary. And then they go back to their business, and, and then it happens again and again. <laughs> Do you get the point, right? There, there's this, this rejoicing when, when someone gets saved. Second Peter 3 verse 9. Thanks, guys. You can start playing. I don't have this on the screens, but I love this promise that's found in the Scriptures concerning the thing that matters the most to God, which is the reconciliation of lost people. It says, the Lord is not slack. God's not slack concerning his promises, concerning the things that he said about the earth, about you and I. God's not slack when it comes to the things he's spoken and said. It says, he's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but he's long suffering toward us. Listen to this, not willing. In other words, it is not the will of God that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know that word repentance is a scary word. It literally just means change the way that you think. Change the way that you think. Change your attitude, change what you believe about who he is. That's what repentance means, which leads to a change of heart, change of actions. 
The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's a really interesting thing about the will of God and His will in heaven and how it pertains to the earth. And I've spoken on this many, many times, and it's very simple but very profound. And that is that God's will gets done on the earth by you and I. It's how it takes place, how it unfolds. And yes, God is sovereign and things happen because He's God. But for a lot of stuff, a lot of His will, a lot of His promises, His will gets done by you and I. And when it comes to this promise that is found in the Scriptures concerning lost people, that it's God's will that none should perish, the way that that happens is by having these life-saving stations that are not distracted by other things, that have not lost the burning desire and mandate of why Jesus came in the first place, to find the lost. Not to condemn the world, not to judge the world, not to look at people and think, who are you? But to love them and to and to invite them and to show them how good God is and how his mercy and grace rescued us and all of our crap and pulled us out of that and put us into right relationship with him and we're all on this journey of discovering really how good he is and it's our job as the church and it's our job as we move from this place from the city into community to plant ourselves amongst families and homes that we could be that kind of light that would shine brightly for Christ and that we would hear that song take on me (laughs) playing and playing and playing many many times and that we would rejoice when one person I just want to give my life to Christ So today, would you align your hearts with His? Don't make church become all about you. I'm not getting my needs met. Oh, I'm not being fed. Oh, I'm just not finding this. It was never about you. It could be a little bit about you. It can't be all about you. If we want to make what matters the most, matter the most. Come on, let's be all part of this search party and help people discover the goodness of God. Why don't we stand up and I'll just finish in prayer this morning. You can leave the lights on actually, Gary. I think we're going to just wrap this up in just a moment. So Jesus, thank you for this reminder this morning why you came, what's important to you. And as we gather like this, as we hang out together, as we do all the stuff that we do as a a group, as a company of believers, as we do church, be the church. I pray that this would be a reminder to us as we go from this place and as we continue to be the church, because we are the church, that what matters the most to you also matters the most to us. As we go about our days and back into our families and into our workplaces, we go back to college next week or this week, tomorrow, that you would just ensure that the most important thing is the most important thing for us. 
see people, people who are in need of reconciling, in need of receiving the love of God, and that we would help, point, invite, be a light, be a witness, and pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I pray right now over everyone here standing. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for your empowerment. I thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the fire of God. I thank you for your gifts. I thank you, God, for brooding over us. I thank you for power on high. I thank you, God, that you promised us this Holy Spirit. You said that you would come in power. Why? So that we would be your witnesses. Judea, Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you empower us? Would you fill us? Would you flood our lives? Would you come upon us right now, this week? Not just for our own needs, not just for our own comfort and strength and our own getting by and our own stuff. Thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your grace, Lord, your surpassing, empowering grace. But I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses this week at school, in our workplace, in our families, in our relationships, in every area. God, let the power of the Holy Spirit.